God in heaven. So let's um, open in prayer first and let's dedicate this time to the Lord so that our hearts will be focused only in Him. Father in heaven, we commit to you these um, minutes and time that um, we have dedicated, Lord, for this service. I pray that you will open our hearts and minds, even our eyes, Lord, to the wonderful things out of thy law. May you help us, Lord, to have wisdom to apply what we're going to learn from you, O Lord. And we beseech you, O Lord, that your Holy Spirit will fill each one of us, O Lord, so that we can discern and fully understand your message. Because without the Holy Spirit, we can never understand and much more we cannot apply, Lord, your word into our hearts. So I pray, Lord, for your guidance and for your direction. May you use me also, Lord, as your messenger to deliver clearly your message to, all, each, to each one of us, O Lord. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. So this is the last part of our series on the evidences of election in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. And this morning, we'll talk about genuine Christianity. How many of you, by the way, um, have been scammed of your money, either through telemarketers or probably some friends who are posing as your real friends? And perhaps you have, especially during the tax season, right, around March, April, May, and also probably during this time of the year, you will receive some phone calls from Canada Revenue Agency and saying that this is the legal department of CRA. You need to call us back because otherwise we will charge you a penalty or anything else. Okay? And if you are a very naive person, you will call that person and then you'll be scammed out of your money and so on. Or perhaps some friends who are not real friends, will go to you and ask you, oh, can I, can I borrow $1,000 from you? And then after some time, that friend is gone, far, far away. You don't know where that person went already. We are in this world filled with fake people, people who are pretending as our real friends, pretending as from the, someone from the government, and they want to scam you out of your Money And who you know, you know that these people, their father is the father of all liars. And who is that? Satan. In John 8, 44, Jesus Christ said, Satan is the father of all liars. He's the father of all lies. But you know what? Satan is not after your money. He's not after anything in you, but he's after you doubting, especially if you're a Christian, is after you doubting and being skeptical of your eternal life, of your eternal salvation. And that's what Satan can do to all of us because we know that once you are saved, you're always saved. But there will be times that you will be doubting about your salvation, especially if you are a young believer, you commit a great sin before God, and some people might say to you, Oh, now you have committed sin, then you are going to lose your salvation. And many people are teaching that in the internet. So be careful. There are so many false teachers, especially in YouTube. So we need to be discerning. We need to be like the Bereans and to 
understand who are the true teachers and the false teachers. The false teachers are being used by Satan. And especially nowadays with the war going on in Israel. Did you hear that news before? There's this, um, some news media that, that tells us that it's Israel who is trying to bully all the Arab nations around them. Instead of saying, telling the, the true news, the, the, the news that it's the Hamas terrorists, terrorists who were bullying Israel for the past many, many years, they turned the news to the false, to falsehood, to lies. And that's why many students right now who don't know about Israel and its history, especially in the U.S., also here in Canada, they are protesting against Israel. They're thinking that Israel is the culprit. Israel is the one who committed these killings in the first place. And we need to be very, very discerning in that area. And one more thing that is very important for us to remember is that that's why we're preaching this uh, message about evidences of election, evidences of genuine Christianity, is that we don't want Jesus Christ to tell us when we come face to face to him, just like in the judgment in Matthew chapter 7, verse 23, Jesus Christ said, many people will come to me and they will call me Lord, Lord, we have done these things into your name. But he said, he's going to tell you, I don't know you. Depart from me. You are a worker of iniquity. We don't want that to happen. That's why we need to make sure and make certain that we are truly saved. And we know that we can be truly saved. There's, there are so many evidence in, in the Bible tell, that tell us that we can know for sure that we can be saved. And one of the most important things is that the changes in our life. It's not only the confession that Jesus Christ is Lord and Savior, but also the changes in our life. Just like what James said, your faith with action, with works, would prove that your faith is a living faith. Because nowadays, many people can say that I am a Christian. But if you come to talk to those people, and dig deeper into their so-called faith, it's not a living faith. It's a dead faith. And that's why we need to be very sure. So here in verses 9 to 10, we will see that genuine Christians do three things. They turn to God from idols, then they serve Him, and lastly, they wait expectantly for Jesus to come. So let's take a look at verses 9 and 10. The word of the Lord says, For they themselves show of us what manner of entering in we had unto you, and how ye turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God, and to wait for his Son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, even Jesus, which delivered us from the wrath to come. So the first thing that I want you to learn from this passage in verse 9, is that genuine Christians turn to God from idols. This is the great evidence from the Thessalonian people that they have turned to God when they submitted to a new master. If you don't know yet, the Thessalonian church, 
is surrounded by idols. They have a multiplicity of gods. They have the, the Greek mythology gods that we have learned in the past. Those are the gods. And those people, they are serving these idols. When these Thessalonian believers turned to God, they got saved. And when they were saved, that means they need to break up with their pagan religion. And they need to redirect their whole life. And that's what it means by the word turn here. The word turn me here means to turn into the absolute opposite direction. To go to the absolute opposite direction. So before, they were turning to idols. And now they need to turn 180 degrees towards God. So it's completely, absolutely opposite direction. And when they turn to God from idols, they need to abandon their polytheism. The Thessalonian people, generally speaking, are polytheistic. They believe in multi, multiple gods. Uh, just like the Hindus, right? In India, they have 1,000 gods. They have the god of the cow, the god of uh, nature, the god and so on and so forth. 1,000 at least, total. But we Christians, we believe in one true and living God. We abandoned our idols in the past. But it's very important to remember that we can still have idols in our hearts, in our life at this very moment. An idol is anything that takes the place, the first place of God in our life. So if yourself becomes number one, if your possessions become number one, if your family becomes number one, even if your ministry becomes number one in your heart rather than Jesus Christ, then you have an idol. This word turn is also the same as the word repentance. Because when you turn to God from idols, that includes repentance, which means you need to turn away or forsake your idols and you submit to a new master. The Apostle Paul mentions that, uh, the book of Acts mentions to us in Acts chapter 9, let's turn to Acts chapter 9, and we'll see how this word turn is used in the book of Acts. Acts starting Acts chapter 9, verse 35, the Bible says, And all that dwelt in Lida, at Lida and Saron saw him, okay, because at this point in time, Peter healed Aeneas. Aeneas was a paralytic. So when all that dwelt at Lida and Saron saw the healed Aeneas, people turned to the Lord. They turned to the Lord. From what? From the idols in their life. Now in chapter 11, chapter 11 verse 21, And the hand of the Lord was with them. Okay, the disciples, the Bar especially Barnabas. The Lord, hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number believed and turned unto the Lord. So you see here, when people turned unto the Lord, what did they do? They believed. They put their faith unto the Lord. So turning means going the absolute opposite direction. Now turn to Acts chapter 26. Okay? This is the last passage from, from the book of Acts. Acts chapter 26, 
18, and then also verse 20. So the Bible says, To open their eyes, this is the testimony of the Apostle Paul, to open their eyes and to turn from darkness to light. So when you turn something or someone, there's always opposite direction involved. So here, God is turning people from darkness to light because darkness is the kingdom of Satan and light is the kingdom of God. And from the power of Satan unto God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and inheritance among them which are sanctified by faith that is in me. And then in verse 20, But showed first unto them of Damascus and at Jerusalem and throughout all the coast of Judea, and then to the Gentiles, that they should repent and turn to God, or turn to God and do works meet for repentance. So you see three things there. When you turn to God, you repent. You change not only your, um, your mindset about sin and about God, but you change your lifestyle. And also, there's works involved with the repentance. Because repentance is largely of the mind. It's a change of the mindset. But repentance is seen in our lives through the actions that we do after repentance and faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. So, conversion, turning to God, always entails repentance, which is, in the Greek word, metanoia, a change in the mind. But a change in your mindset always involves a change in your lifestyle and action. And that's what we see from people. When they are genuinely converted, we don't see the repentance in their mind, but we see the repentance in their actions. You see a drastic change in their action. Just like one person, probably a day before he got saved, is all on to drinking, going to bars, nightclubs, and so on and so forth. But the moment that the person got saved, everything changed. It may not be a, a, a complete change, but there are some changes that happens in a person's life. That's because he turned from God to, uh, from he turned to idols, uh, he turned to God from idols. Secondly, genuine Christians serve the living and the true God. So we see that again in verse 9, these people turn to God from idols for what purpose? To serve the living and true God. So turning to God does not only involve changing your belief about who Christ is and what sin is, it's a reversal of your allegiance. Because when we talk about the word serve, we're talking about the word slave. Because the word in our English Bible, the word serve, is a very uh, mild term. But in the Greek, it really means being a slave. And there's a difference between a servant and a slave. A servant has a master, but he has the choice not to obey the master. He has some kind of freedom not to obey the master. But a slave is completely different. A slave cannot say no to the master. Because if he calls his master as Lord, as his boss, he's obliged to obey everything that he 
tells him to do. That's the difference between a slave and a servant. And the Lord Jesus Christ, and the Bible calls all his people, all his disciples, all Christians as slaves. So when we, uh, when we talk about the word servant in the Bible, actually it means slave. All of, you, all of you, all of us are slaves. And that means we are obliged to obey the word of God. And, you know, being a slave is very demanding. Can you imagine that? You cannot say no to your master. And that's what we're supposed to do also. Don't we call Jesus Christ as our Lord? He's not only our Savior, but He's Lord. When you call Him Lord, what you are supposed to say is yes, always, not no, or perhaps maybe. But how come we say to Him sometimes, Lord, not now, or maybe tomorrow, or probably we'll say, no, Lord, I won't do that. It's because we are still in this human flesh. We still have our free will. We are still sinful. But when we are in heaven, we're completely changed from a corruptible to an incorruptible body. We will never say no to the Lord anymore. But while here on earth, we need to always practice saying yes to the Lord. Because if you call him your Lord, then you're supposed to tell him yes at all times. Never a no. So a disciple and a follower of Christ will never say no to him. You will always say yes. And when he says, go to this person and tell him about me, you go right away. And you don't tell that person, perhaps tomorrow, Lord, I don't, I don't have time right now. Then you are not a slave. You are a servant. God wants us to be a, serv- a slave rather than a servant. And the, and the Apostle Paul mentions to us our past life and our present life in Romans chapter 6. So please turn to Romans chapter 6, verses 16 to 18. Romans chapter 6, 16 to 18. In this um, chunk of passage, the Apostle Paul is teaching us about servanthood or more appropriately, slave, being a slave. Who are we slaves of? Okay, so starting verse 16, he was telling the Roman believers, Know you not that to whom you yield yourselves servants to obey, his servants ye are to whom you obey. So Paul is saying, if you yield or surrender your, your life or your heart to a certain person or thing or object, then you are a slave to that thing or person. And you ought to obey that person. And furthermore, he said, whether of sin unto death or of obedience unto righteousness? Question mark. So, Paul is asking the Roman believers, are you a servant or slave of sin or are you a slave of righteousness? There's a difference. In our past life, before we became Christians, we are slaves to sin. We always say yes to sin because it appeals to our flesh. But now that we have been changed by the Lord Jesus Christ through the power of the Holy Spirit, then we have been made righteous. And since we have been made righteous, now we are all slaves unto righteousness. So in verse 17, Paul says, 
God be thanked. Why? That you were the servants of sin, but now you have obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine which was delivered you. Being then made free from sin, you became the servants of righteousness. So Paul is telling them, Now, my dear friends, my dear brethren, you are no longer servants or slaves to sin. So why are you still indulging into a lifestyle of sin? He's not telling them you should not be sinning anymore because that's not possible. We Christians can still commit sin. But our lifestyle should not be a sinful lifestyle, but should be a lifestyle of righteousness. So it's time for all of us to evaluate ourselves. If we are true Christians, our lifestyle should not be punctuated and marked by sin, but it should be marked by righteousness. If our lifestyle is still marked by sin, there's a problem there. Perhaps we are not yielding to the Holy Spirit, but we are yielding to the sin in our life. So what do we need to do? If that is the case, we need to go down into our knees and ask forgiveness, repent of our sins, because God wants us to live a righteous life. Paul said, you now have become the servants or slaves of righteousness. Evaluate your life. Have you turned to God from your idols? Are you now slaves to righteousness rather than slaves to sin? It's time for you to repent. If you know that you are a true Christian, you know that you're going to heaven, then repent of your sin and start following Jesus Christ and his righteousness. That's the only thing that we can do right now. Even though we are here in the sinful flesh, God has given us the power to turn from a sinful life to a life of righteousness. And we know that we cannot do it in our own strength, in our own effort. Only the Lord God himself, only Jesus Christ and his spirit can help us. So the Apostle Paul also mentions us to us in Romans 8 to walk after the spirit. That means to follow always what the spirit tells you. And how do we know what the Spirit tells us? Go into the Word of God. Perhaps you're living a sinful lifestyle because you are not indulging and meditating on God's Word. Remember Psalm 119, verses, verse 11 says, Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee. So what's the best deterrent against sin? Hide the Word of God in your heart. Because if your heart is filled with God's word, sin cannot take over your life. Otherwise, if you don't hide the word of God in your life, then sin can take over your life. And that will be a cause of trouble all throughout your life as a Christian. So my advice to all of you, be a slave to righteousness. Always commit to righteousness. When you wake up in the morning, Pray to the Lord and ask the Lord to fill you with His Holy Spirit so that you can live a righteous life. Number three, lastly, we see that genuine Christians wait expectantly for God's Son from heaven. Genuine Christians wait expectantly for God's Son from heaven. 
In Acts chapter 1, when Jesus Christ ascended into heaven, this, uh, some angels met up with the disciples. And this is what happened in Acts chapter 1, 9 to 11. When he had spoken these things, while they beheld, he was taken up and a cloud received him out of their sight. So this is the point when Jesus Christ gave the disciples the charge to be witnesses unto all people. And while they looked steadfastly toward heaven as he went up, behold, two men, these are angels, stood by them in white apparel. And this angel said, verse 11, which also said, Ye men of Galilee, why stand ye gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus which is taken up from you into heaven shall so come in like manner as you have seen him go into heaven. This is a great reminder to all of us that Jesus Christ will come back for all of us. And I've been telling you, and you know this already from the Bible, that the next event in prophecy from the Word of God is the rapture, the event of the rapture. When Jesus Christ will be up in the clouds, in the air, preceded by the trump of his angel, and then all the saints will come and meet up with him in the air. That's the rapture. And when the rapture sets in, you know what's going to happen. The tribulation period will start. And the Antichrist will be revealed during that time. But before that happens, we will be rejoicing already. Because we are not going to experience the affliction and the great trouble of the tribulation period. And that's what the apostles were doing. Look at verse 10 in Acts chapter 1. They were looking steadfastly toward heaven. Literally, they were looking at Jesus Christ going up in the air, in the clouds. And that's what we are supposed to do as God's people. Nowadays, if you look at the news that's happening in the Middle East, the news in Ukraine and Russia, we will be discouraged. We will feel hopeless. And now there's news that Ukraine might be losing this war. It's been more than a year now, and many people that Israel might lose this war also. We don't know what's going to happen, but we know that Israel will be preserved by our Lord God himself. But my point is this. While we are looking at our circumstances, what's happening in the world right now, we ought to look more at the second coming of our Lord Jesus Christ for his people, for all of us. Because the Lord Jesus Christ has promised that to all of us. And that's one of the characteristics of true Christians. We know that we are going to heaven because our citizenship is in heaven. Our citizenship is not here on earth. We belong to heaven. Jesus Christ said, we are still in this world, but we are not of this world. So how come we are so bothered and worried and troubled by what's happening in the world? We ought to be rejoicing because all these things that are happening are pointing to the fact that Jesus Christ might be coming back very, very soon. But the question for all of us is, are you ready? Are you prepared? Right now it's 11.33. What if one minute from now, Jesus Christ calls all of us into the air 
Are you ready? Amen. Yes. That's what I like. Amen. Yes, I'm ready. It seems that not all of us are sure that we, if we are ready. How come we are not ready for the second coming of our Lord Jesus Christ? Do we think about our mortgage? Do we think about our possessions? That we're going to miss all those things? Don't be like Lot, especially his wife. They miss all their possessions in Sodom and Gomorrah. The earth that we are living like now is like Sodom and Gomorrah. It's filled with immorality. Good is now evil. Evil is good. You see all the protests all going all over the world right now. Instead of condemning the terrorists, they're condemning the, the victims, the people of Israel. Do you like this kind of world? Do you, do you want to reside permanently in this world? Of course not. And that's why the call for all of us is to wait expectantly for the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. But when we wait, and as we wait, it doesn't mean that we'll just sit on those chairs and do nothing and be lazy. God wants us to be working, working, working. You know that hymn, there's that hymn, an old hymn called, To the work, to the work, to the work. And what is the work? The work is to preach the gospel to every creature in this world. And what are we doing, Christians? Not only RBBC, but all Christians in different local churches. We are so happy with so much fellowship, with, with potluck lunch, with everything else that's going on. But when we go out into the world, we are so fearful, we are so worried, we are troubled, we don't know what to do. But that's the main responsibility of every Christian as we wait expectantly to tell people that they can be saved by the power of the blood of our Lord Jesus Christ. This waiting is not just waiting lazily. When we wait upon the Lord Jesus Christ, it means a sustained, patient, and trusting kind of waiting. Sustained and constant. It doesn't mean that now I'm going to wait on Jesus Christ, now I'm going to preach the good news, but tomorrow I don't feel like doing it. That's not what a true Christian does. That's not what a true follower of Christ does. We need to be always on the go, always ready. Let's turn to 1 Peter chapter 3. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15. As we wait on the Lord Jesus Christ coming, we need to be ready at all times. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15. But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts and be ready always to give an answer to every man that asketh you a reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. First, be ready. How should we be ready? When someone asks you, why do you have that kind of hope that your Savior will be coming back a second time? Give them an answer. To give an answer means here is actually where we get the word apologetics. You need to know how to reason out to people. How to tell them why you are so hopeful that Jesus Christ will be coming back soon. How many of us know how to preach the good news? 
How many of us know how to tell people about our Lord Jesus Christ? And we need to start with that. That's basic knowledge. Do we, need, do we know even what is, the, what is the gospel? Do we know how do we start? How to tell people about our Lord Jesus Christ? People nowadays, when you talk to them, they don't want Jesus Christ in their life. But we know that they need Jesus Christ. Everybody needs Jesus Christ. Just recently, I think this past week, um, statistics said, world statistics said that the population of the world has reached 8 billion people. Imagine how many of those 8 billion people know Jesus Christ. Genuinely and sincerely, how many are true believers? Perhaps not even 10% of those 8 billion people. We don't know. So what are we going to do in order to increase that, the percentage of people who believe in Jesus Christ? People in the world will not go to this church. They will not just go and say, oh, I want to know Jesus Christ. Because Jesus Christ tells us we need to go. That's the command of the Lord Jesus Christ. Go! People will not go to this church unless we tell them about Jesus Christ. We are the light of this world. We are the salt of this earth. And we need to tell people that we have Jesus Christ. We have the Savior. We have the Lord that can save them also from their sins. This theme of waiting is very prominent in the book of First Thessalonians. So let's take a look at this different passages that talk about waiting. And this underlines the importance of waiting for us, God's people. Okay? Starting in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, uh, verses 17 and 19. Okay? 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 17, But we, brethren, being taken from you for a short time in presence, not in heart, Endeavor the more abundantly to see your face with great desire. And then 19, For what is our hope, or joy, or crown of rejoicing, are not even ye in the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ at his coming? So Paul is telling us here that his, one of his important desires is to see these Thessalonian believers, if they don't see each other personally while here on earth, he wants to see them up there in the clouds when Jesus Christ raptures all his saints. So waiting for the second coming is so important. Now in chapter 3, 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 13, To the end he may establish your hearts unblameable in holiness before God, even our Father, at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ with all his saints. So take note here. Jesus Christ coming with all his saints. This is not talking about the rapture. He's talking about the second coming after the tribulation period. Because it says here, Jesus Christ will come with all his saints. In the rapture, the saints will come to Jesus. But the end of tribulation period, at the battle of Armageddon, Jesus Christ will come down to earth with all his saints. 
with all of us. And we will be dealing with God's enemies at the end of tribulation period. So again, the theme of waiting is very important. Expectantly coming. Expectant for the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. In Thessalonians chapter 4, and you know that this is the rapture passage, 15 to 17 of 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. For this we say unto you, by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord shall not prevent them which are asleep. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel and with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and, show, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. So in the rapture, the saints will meet up with Jesus Christ in there. Jesus Christ will not go come down here in earth. He will come down physically in the earth after the tribulation period with all his saints, with all of us, his followers. And lastly, in chapter 5, same uh, book, First Thessalonians chapter 5, in verse 23. And the very God of peace sanctify you wholly, and I pray God, your whole spirit and soul and body be preserved blameless unto what? Unto the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. And the Apostle Paul, at the end of his, uh, almost at the end of his life, when he wrote to Timothy, while he was in prison, uh, let's turn to 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 8. He said this to Timothy. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 8. Henceforth, there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at that day. What day? The second coming of our Lord. And not to me only, but unto all them also that love his appearing. So the question for all of us, do you love the appearing of the Lord Jesus Christ? Are you waiting expectantly for the Lord Jesus Christ's coming? Perhaps right now you don't expect that because you're still young. I remember uh, Grandma Rose and even Marty right now and even uh, Sister Margaret. When I talk to them, I pray and hope he will always tell, they will always tell me, Pastor, I pray and hope that Jesus Christ will come back very, very soon. But to most of our young people, perhaps that's not in your mind right now. But how sure are you that Jesus Christ will not come back any moment now? Are you ready for his second coming? Are you ready for his second coming? That's why someone asked me uh, this morning and also in the past, how come of all the prophetic events, the rapture doesn't seem to have any portending signs. The tribulation period has signs. The second coming of Jesus Christ has signs. But how about the rapture? There are no signs that it will be coming soon. And the right answer is this, because Jesus Christ wants us to be ready at all times. If he tells us from the Bible that he's coming perhaps next year, or 10 years from now, how do you think would we look at the ministry? How would we look at the preaching of the gospel? Perhaps you would say, well, 10 years to go, okay, I'll just enjoy my life for about nine and a half years, and then I know Jesus Christ come, will come back 
at this point in time, then I'll be ready. But Jesus Christ always tells us, even in the Gospels, be prepared, be ready at all times. Because we can see that Jesus Christ will be coming back very, very soon. Of course, we don't assign dates and times for the second coming of Jesus Christ, but we know that he's coming back. That's why we need to be always ready. And the second coming is our blessed hope. Let's turn to Titus. Titus chapter 2. Titus chapter 2, verses 11 to 13. For the grace of God that bringeth salvation has appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly. That's what we're supposed to be doing. Live not in a drunken manner, but soberly, calmly, peacefully, righteously, and godly. Verse 13, looking for that blessed hope. What is our blessed hope? That is the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. That's our blessed hope. We cannot put our hope in anything else in this world. We cannot put our hope in ourselves. We cannot put our hope in this building. We cannot put our hope in our prime minister, in the leaders of our world. But we can put our hope to the fact that Jesus Christ will be coming back very, very soon. And then going back to 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, in verse 10, it says here, To wait for his Son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, even Jesus, which delivered us from the wrath to come. What is this wrath? This wrath does not talk about the tribulation wrath, because many people th- thought that this wrath is the tribulation wrath. But this wrath pertains to the wrath of God's judgment. God's judgment upon sin. This wrath is God's eternal judgment against sin. And how do we know that this is the wrath that we are talking about, not about tribulation period? Because if you take a look at the whole chapter in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, he's talking about the salvation of God's people and the certainty that they are saved. So this wrath is salvation from the judgment of God. This wrath is talking about the judgment of God upon sin in people's lives. And God, through Jesus Christ, delivered all of God's people from this kind of wrath. And what was the perfect place for God's wrath? That's the lake of fire. Anyone not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. So your names, my name, if we are true Christians, our names are written in the book of life. So if your name is not written, if there are some people whose names are not written in the book of life, they are not saved, they will be cast into the lake of fire. Do you want your family members to be cast into the lake of fire? Do you want your friend to be cast or be thrown into the lake of fire? Do you want the stranger that you meet in the bus, the stranger that you meet in, the, in, in your workplace, in your school, to be thrown into the lake of fire? Of course not. We don't want that to happen. We want as many people as possible to be delivered 
from their sin and to go up to heaven together with all of us. So generally, in summary, we see that the Thessalonian people, they responded to the Lord's message by, first, they turned to the Lord, they served Him, and they wait expectantly for them. Let us evaluate ourselves as we close this message. If you are here today, have you already turned to God from your paganism, from your pagan religion? Have you turned over your life to the Lord Jesus Christ? Or perhaps you are a believer, you are a follower of Christ already. Have you been harboring some idols in your life? Because all of us have some sort of idols in our life. An idol is something that you make as number one, the first place in your heart. And how do we know what is the first place in our heart? The thing or the person that you treasure most. What or who is it that you treasure most in your heart? Is it Jesus Christ or anything else? If it's anything else, then that's your idol. And God wants you to turn away from that idol. Secondly, be fervent in your serving towards the Lord. God has given you spiritual gifts. No true Christian can tell me or can say to anybody else, Pastor, I don't have any spiritual gift. Because if you say that you don't have a spiritual gift, then you make God a liar. Because the Bible tells us very clearly that He has given a spiritual gift, at least one spiritual gift, to his followers. Some may have two, some may have a multiplicity of gifts, but all of us had at least one gift. As the Spirit dwells in us, he gives us one spiritual gift. That spiritual gift could be a talent that you have when you are still an unbeliever that God has improved or developed in order to be used by him. Uh, for example, the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul was an eloquent speaker. He's a good and a bold speaker when he was a Pharisee. And God used that when he became a disciple of Christ. Now, God is using his boldness to preach the good news. Before, he's using his own boldness to persecute the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. So the same thing with all of you. Perhaps God has given you some kind of gift or talent in the past. God can develop that. God, but I'm different from some of you. God has not given me the public speaking gift or the talent when I was an unbeliever. When I became a believer, God developed that in me. And perhaps that's different from you, but God has given you a gift. So use that gift. Invest that talent. Invest that spiritual gift that God has given you for his kingdom. Thirdly, wait for Christ to return and always be ready. Are you eagerly awaiting his second coming? Are you saying, Maranatha, Jesus Christ, may you come very, very soon. I hope and pray that that is in your heart right now because that will help you to become ready for his second coming. Let us pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for you are the God who establishes our faith, 
Thank you for these past three weeks. You have made certain to our minds and hearts that we are genuinely saved, O Lord. Not only by our confession or professional faith, but also by the actions that we express as a result of our faith. So Lord, continue to develop each one of us. Help us, Lord, to continue to remove all the idols in our lives and have a complete allegiance only to our Lord Jesus Christ. Help us also, Lord, to be fervent in our service, to be passionate in reaching out to people. Help us, Lord, to address their needs, both physical and spiritual needs. And lastly, help us, Lord, to always look up to heaven, awaiting for the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Because that is our blessed hope, our complete deliverance from the tribulations and the afflictions of this world. And we pray all these things in the mighty name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Let us all stand up, please. Let's sing our final hymn.